listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following audio was taken from the Cause to Live For 2022, our annual event for students' 20s and 30s. Thank you for coming to our seminar. Um, my name is Naomi. I'm part of the team at Manchester Vineyard Church um, and I oversee all things around compassion and loving our city. Um, I moved to Manchester to study for a master's um, and I thought I'd be there for a year and then just go off again to whatever the Lord has for me. Um, But uh, it's now been six years and I live with one of my very best pals and I have no plans to leave. So that's a little bit of my story. Uh, This guy, thank you. Okay, and yep, so my name's Hetel. I'm part of the team at Manchester Vineyard as well, so I oversee Alpha and our internship year there, and I'm on mat leave at the moment, it's for my job as a doctor, so I have a six-month-year-old daughter, and I'm just very passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus, um, and yeah, we're excited to be here, so thank you for coming. So yeah, we'll just pray. Thank you, thank you, Father, for this, um, for this time that we have, Lord, I just pray that you that you just prepare our hearts um, as you say whatever you want to say this afternoon, Lord. Um, And yeah, Lord, would you just, we just welcome your presence into this room and your spirit to do whatever you want to do, Lord. We we love you. Um, Teach us, Lord. And um, yeah, we just thank you for your your presence Um, with us now. Amen. Amen. So today we're looking at what is our mission as followers of Jesus and many of us in the room will know and love Jesus and that's great but then what are we actually meant to do with our lives and this is a really important question in particular for our generation so I head up Alpha as I said and it's one of the biggest questions people are asking what am I meant to be doing with my life and it's not just non-Christians that are asking this question but Christians too. As Christians, we most likely know, especially as part of the vineyard, that we're meant to be doing something. We know the aim of being a Christian isn't to sit tight and just wait for Jesus's return. We may know that we're meant to become more like him, so be transformed into his image. Spiritual formation is important, but is that it? Is our mission in our life to become like Jesus, to be free from fear, anxiety, to be full of peace and joy I mean obviously those are really really good things but is that all we're meant to do are we meant to just heal up start looking like Jesus and then just wait for him to come back so I think we instinctively know that there there is an outward orientation to our lives as Christians we're not meant to fix up and wait but we become like Jesus for the sake of others for the sake of the world around us so what is it that we're meant to do what is our mission as Jesus followers Well, when we think of our mission, what we're actually saying is, what is our purpose? What on earth, what are we here on earth to do? But to answer that question, we have to take one step back and ask, whose mission is it? And the answer to that is God. It's God's mission. God has a goal, an aim, a purpose for his whole creation. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but it's an attribute of God. He is a missionary God, the supreme liberator, actor, rescuer, saver in our story and the story of the world. But God hasn't chosen to accomplish this mission by himself. Instead, he has called into existence a people to participate with him to accomplish that mission. So a theologian, Chris Wright, puts it this way. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. So if we're made for God's mission, if our mission flows from God's mission, then what exactly is God's mission? And here we have to look at the whole story of the Bible. We aren't going to understand God's mission from just one verse. The Bible isn't a manual of how to live well or just a tool for spiritual formation. The Bible in its fullness is an account of God's action of mission in this world, his purpose for all of creation. And then it's about us as he uses us for his mission. So to know the mission of God, we need to look at all the way from Genesis to Revelation to see what he's been up to. Nice. So uh, get ready for a quick overview of the Bible. So there are, quick, I promise, there are four main sections to the, to the biblical story, um, which actually Pete touched on a little bit in his talk this morning. Um, so creation, fall, redemption and new creation. So 
I'll kick off with creation. So the Bible begins and ends with creation and ends with a new creation. Sometimes we make the mistake of jumping straight to the fall in the beginning um, in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve eat the fruit and therefore say that the Bible is just about God's solution to our sin problem. But creation is important as it enables us to answer the questions, where are we? We're in God's creation. He has a purpose for it and still does, despite what happened in that moment. And who are we? We are human beings made in the image of God. And that has profound implications for our understanding of God's mission. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you see that humans were made in the image of God to reign and rule over the earth as God's representatives on the earth. The Garden of Eden was meant to be full of life and multiplication, expansion and a close relationship with God and each other. The Garden of Eden wasn't paradise at its end, but it was the beginning. God was going to put us to task as humans to bring the garden to redemption. Completion. <laughs> so next we've got the fall. So due to the fall in Genesis 3, we see evil and sin weave its way into every aspect of God's creation, into humanity and life on earth. And so Chris Wright puts it like this. Physically, we're subject to decay and death and living in an environment that is itself under the curse of God. Intellectually, we use our incredible powers of rationality to explain, excuse and normalise our evil. Socially, every human relationship is fractured and disrupted. Sexual, parental, familial, societal, ethnic, international, and so on. And spiritually, we are alienated from God, rejecting his goodness and authority. The good news is that God has given us a gospel that addresses every single problem that sin has created. Physical, intellectual, social, and spiritual. God's mission is the final destruction of all that is evil from the whole of creation. And then redemption. So God chose not to abandon or destroy his creation, but to redeem it. How? Through us as humans. So God chose Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites, to be a vehicle of redemption and blessing of the nations. The Israelites were set apart to be distinctive and to live lives that reflected God's justice, his holiness and love, and model people to be a light to the nations, to draw people back to God. And as we probably know, Israel messes up. Israel was in need of God's salvation, just like the rest of the nations. And in the New Testament, we're presented with the answer, Jesus. Jesus becomes man, he lives the perfect life, showing us what it means to be truly human and live a life that is blessing to others. He shows us the way humanity was meant to be. And through the cross and the resurrection, we see God's accomplished victory over sin, death and the devil. The cross not only reverses, but ultimately destroys the effects of the fall. And this victory isn't just for Israel, but for all the nations. Jesus is the light of the world and he is the way the nations will be redeemed. But right now, although the victory is won, the kingdom has started. The kingdom isn't here in, in, its, in all its fullness until Jesus comes again. And this is what you might have heard of in the vineyard, um, what we call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So there is the now aspect of the kingdom of God, the reversal of the effects of the fall today. God's kingdom looks like liberation, justice, healing, freedom, peace. Um, and this started with Jesus. So Jesus ascends into heaven and God chooses us to involve us in this mission of redemption. And the Holy Spirit is here with us today to empower us to, as believers to live like Jesus, being energised to do ministry as Jesus did, to bring his kingdom and reverse the effects of the fall. And then fourthly, we have the new creation. So the second coming will bring the whole story of the Bible to its climatic end, redemption and renewal of all of God's creation. So it will bring judgment, which is good news in part, as it means evil will be ultimately destroyed by God. But the Bible doesn't end on that judgment day. Beyond it lies the new heavens and the new earth, where God himself will dwell with his redeemed people. And then the mission of God ends here. So here the physical, intellectual, social and spiritual effects of the fall are reversed. So there's no sickness, no death, no injustice. So we've got creation, fall, redemption and new creation. So this is the Bible's storyline which energises and shapes the mission of God's people, which is us. Thanks, um, so, another quote, um, mission is nothing less than participating with God in this grand story until he brings it to his guaranteed climax. So that's what our mission is, participating with God in his grand story until Jesus returns and ushers in that new creation, the kingdom here in its fullness. 
And this means that mission is broad. So that word for you might make, like the word mission might make you think of, um, <laughs> thank you, um, like going overseas, like mission trips and um, reaching people and people groups who don't know Jesus. But it involves that physical, intellectual, social and spiritual aspects of our lives as humans and the whole of creation. God wants to use us. He wants to use you to bring his kingdom here today and to bring that new creation into the present. And that's wherever you are, your workplace, your uni, um, your neighbourhood, your city, your street. And there's purpose to where he's placed you and many ways you can participate with him in this mission. So for our remaining time, we're going to look at two aspects of this mission. Compassion, loving our neighbours and our communities, seeking justice, demonstrating the radical love of Jesus to meet immediate practical needs and evangelism reversing the spiritual effect of the fall, inviting people to come to know Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. And we can easily pigeonhole people into these aspects of mission or avoid them altogether. Um, I don't know about you, but for years, if the word evangelism would just evoke like sweaty palms, like feelings of inadequacy and um, memories of like, even as a kid standing in town and sun during Sunday school and like being bold enough to talk to people about Jesus, um, and it can be easy to have memories like that or feelings and just leave it to the really pioneering, brave, bold people who you're convinced could probably lead someone to Jesus in their sleep. But oh, equally, like compassion, the, feeling, the, the idea of compassion can be reserved for like the softy people who've got loads of time to volunteer and, um, and are soft or whatever, whatever you might think. But we're going to try to reconnect them and help you find your feet in both um, and hopefully confidence that the Lord wants to use you and, um, and equip you with his heart for the lost and the least to see more of his kingdom. Um, and to do that, we just follow what Jesus did. It's so simple. Um, he's our role model, our teacher. He shows us what it's like to be human. Um, so we're just going to now take, um, take a bit of time to look at, at how Jesus did it um, to help us go about our mission. So when we look at reversing the spiritual effects of the fall and inviting people to come to know Jesus, we follow Jesus' example of both proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. So he did both, he proclaimed and demonstrated the gospel to bring people to faith. So firstly, proclamation. How did Jesus proclaim his gospel? Well, often it was highly personal and relational. For example, Jesus relates to Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, the woman caught in adultery, the paralysed man, Zacchaeus, the rich young man, and so on. And we know that that relational approach is still effective today. As there's a stat that I've got here, so 70 to 80% of UK Christians found faith through a friend. And that was the case for me. I'm not 70 to 80% people of the world, but <laughs> I'm a tiny proportion of that. Um, so sharing the gospel is not all about standing on a stage with a loudspeaker. Instead, often it's done in relationship. And all of us in this room relate to people. We have family, housemates, colleagues, that sort of thing. So we already have people that we can chat to about the gospel. So then what is it that we share? What exactly is the gospel? And I think that's a really important question to consider. It's important to know what God's done as this strengthens our faith and our love for him. But it's also really important to know in our day and age and for our generation. We live in a post-Christian society that doesn't have an understanding of the Christian faith. And the things that society does know are partly true, but also partly false, and therefore can be misleading or off-putting to following Jesus. So when we think of the gospel, often we think of something like this. So this is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that's true. That is definitely, you know, part of the gospel. Jesus came to die for our sins. He took our sins on the cross. He took the penalty of death for us so that we wouldn't have to. There's two things that are not helpful about this, this sort of simple gospel explanation. So firstly, in our society, the gospel, this gospel presentation has been warped. So often when non-Christians hear this, they think of something, they hear something along these lines. They don't think of a loving God who wants to find a way to bring them back into relationship. Instead, they think of an angry God in the skies, who's a total killjoy, who's got an arbitrary list of sins, so things we shouldn't do, and that we can get into heaven if we don't sin, and so we should just obey what he says. 
So it means gospel presentations that just that are just centered around personal sin and forgiveness. Whilst they're biblically true and accurate, they can lead non-Christians further away from God because of their misconceptions about him. And then secondly, as I've suggested, it's a limited explanation of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus dying for our sins so that we can receive forgiveness, but it is so much more than that. If we take the overview of the whole Bible like we did at the start of the seminar, then the good news is that Jesus through the cross is reversing the effects of the fall and restoring the cosmos, physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. Forgiveness of sins is an important part of that, but it's part of a much bigger story of what God has achieved. And this is really important. As the bigger picture, this sort of fuller gospel is attractive to those who don't know Jesus. Do you mind just doing the next slide? Thanks. <laughs> um, so the Christian narrative of the world, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, the, this lines up with some of the biggest questions humans are facing. Some of the big questions non-Christians are asking. So firstly, why am I here? What is the purpose to my life? Well, the Christian doctrine of creation lines up with these questions. We're here because God made us out of love. And what's the purpose? Well, God made us in his image to rule creation in a loving and just way. And then secondly, what's gone wrong in the world? Or even what's gone wrong in me? Well, that's explained by the doctrine of the fall. And then thirdly, what's the solution to all this mess? Well, we can explain this by the doctrine of redemption, by Jesus and the cross. And then fourthly, what will restoration look like? Well, we can, talk, we can explain this by talking about new creation. Our culture is full of various narratives that try to explain the world and answer these questions. You know, one of the narratives could be that life is an accident, so find your own purpose, the whole world's going to die one day, so just try and be happy today. Um, and each person subscribes to one of these narratives, whether they realise it or not. So by sharing this fuller gospel with them, we invite them to leave the world's narrative behind and join in the true story of God. We invite them to follow him, to have a purpose that is worth living for and an unshakable hope that is worth dying for. So I was chatting to a non-Christian friend recently and she's just finished her degree and she was trying to figure out what jobs to take, like sort of what career path to go on. And she was really stuck and anxious. She wanted to be satisfied at work, but didn't know what to do to ensure that would happen. And when we delved a bit deeper, she was just generally dissatisfied with her life. It wasn't that there was anything wrong, that, but something was missing. She was constantly looking for the next thing to satisfy her, which is why she had so much anxiety over that job choice. So through the lens of purpose, I explained the gospel to her, how knowing Jesus gives us the basis of our identity and purpose, how we've messed things up as humanity, and how we need to turn to God to see restoration how we have an exciting mission and purpose as Christians where we can participate in reversing the effects of the fall and the renewal of the earth. And it caught her attention. She wondered if by knowing God, she could know purpose and satisfaction in her work and her whole life. And so she agreed to do an Alpha course so she could find out more. And that's currently where we are in the story. So the gospel is attractive. We just need to be ready to explain it in its fullness. So we've looked at how Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but then how did he demonstrate it? So he didn't only preach the good news, but he demonstrated the news that God's kingdom was breaking in in the present, that his new creation was coming now. And he did this by healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, fighting for justice, feeding the poor, elevating the status of women, children, the lowest in society. And he calls us to do the same. God has chosen us to, chosen to demonstrate his power through us. And use alongside proclamation, this is an effective way of bringing people into the kingdom. So the idea is, as followers of Jesus, we're in communion with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this, we receive insights and empowerment. And when we act upon them, we see amazing results. People are healed, miracles are seen. And so that insight could be a word of knowledge, or it could be an empowering in that moment for healing, for deliverance. John Wimber was big on this. He coined it power evangelism. And it's incredibly effective. If you remember the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus receives a word of knowledge for her that she had five husbands. And this opens her heart to receive the news that he is the Messiah, a truth that she believes and she immediately goes to tell everyone. 
So actually, we had a lady in our church recently who's a Muslim. Um, she's not been church to church before, but she came in the midst of some really tricky circumstances. Um, her husband had an affair and left her. And someone had a word that God wanted to heal arthritis that morning. And it turns out she suffered significantly from arthritis. She was quite a young woman. Um, and a friend that brought her prayed for her, and she was completely healed in that moment. Um, due to cultural pressures, she's found it difficult to return to church. But in that moment, she went from closed off to Christianity to open and willing to explore more. And that's the journey that she's on. And we're just really excited to see what happens next. So Jesus demonstrated and proclaimed the gospel. And we have to go about doing both to see the spiritual effects of the full reversed and to see people come to know Jesus. Um, and when we look at what motivated Jesus, you can't escape the compassion that he had on people. So for Jesus, the marginalised, the financially poor were not his charity volunteer time. Um, his friends, his followers and his people and people that he made to feel really welcome um, were people who were rejected, forgotten about and despised. Jesus didn't have moments of compassion. He had a movement of compassion that shaped everything that we did. And we read um, in the Gospels that um, it was when Jesus was moved by compassion that he taught. It was when he was moved by compassion that he um, fed the hungry. It was when he was moved by compassion that he healed the sick. And... Um, I love this story of when Jesus heals the 10 lepers, um, or 10 people with leprosy. So their lives would have been completely transformed. So they would have experienced complete medical restoration. Um, they would now be accepted again in society, not having to like live apart in a separate um, colony. Um, they would have been able to do all the things that other people would have taken for granted. Um, be, people would have been able to touch them again. They would be able to get jobs and move back in with their families. Um, and even though all of this amazing stuff had happened, um, only one of them made the God connection and went back to thank Jesus, um, acknowledging the power in Jesus as the source of their miraculous healing. Um, and Jesus didn't fail because only one of them made that connection and went back to him, but he did it anyway because he loved them. And what I love about Jesus is how he just constantly was giving people dignity um, in the way that he loved people. So he, he asked people if they wanted to be well. Um, in John 5 verse 6, it shows that you can't assume um, that everyone, everyone wants a miracle or the help that you're offering, even if you know or expect that it would transform their lives. Um, he partnered with and, um, and honoured what people had already. So even if it was just a little, if you think of um, the little boy who offered his lunch to Jesus um, with the five loaves and two fish um, and it fed over 5,000 people and and what Jesus didn't do in that moment when the crowds were hungry and he was like oh, I think this is a miracle day come on we're going to do a miracle he didn't just be like no keep your lunch to yourself that's clearly only going to feed you I'm going to bring a buffet from heaven and it's going to drop and it's going to be like lovely tables and tablecloths it was like no I'm going to use what you have and let's multiply it because I see your heart and and he loved it he knows what it's like to be human and when he cast out demons um of a man um who was totally out of his mind and naked in the wilderness moments later he was sat at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and I just love that the Bible tells us that he was then wearing clothes like his dignity was restored Jesus is really interested in the details and I can't wait to ask Jesus I should just do it now I don't need to wait for heaven where did those clothes come from <laughs> like who was just carrying a spare set maybe that's what we're supposed to do um who knows um he Jesus loved helping people find what they had lost he didn't just replace with brand new um he restored things to people and Jesus gave people the opportunity to transform their own communities so um I think yeah you mentioned uh, Zacchaeus already or it's coming up already <laughs> in a word Zacchaeus um and so just by Jesus going to have lunch with this man who was totally despised, nobody liked him, he had no mates, he was up a tree, he couldn't see. By, by going round and having dinner with, with Zacchaeus um, and choosing to have a relationship with him and get to know him and sit in his home that nobody else would have done, it totally, it would have transformed a community. So um, what Zacchaeus did in that moment of meeting Jesus and being transformed was he gave people, he gave away half of his possessions to the poor. And like, he would have been quite a wealthy man 
for his situation. Um, and anyone that he cheated, he gave them back four times the amount. So you could just, just imagine some of those people who'd been cheated and scammed out of money by this tax collector who might have then been in debt to other people or struggling like where's the next meal going to come from because we still owe that money to Zakia or whatever it is like Zakia stole more money and he just gave it back four times the amount like that is nuts like the, how Jesus encountering Jesus would have um yeah just that choosing into relationship um with him and how Jesus stepped into it um was really transformative and I love that um Jesus wasn't weird or distant or at arm's length with people who weren't easy. He got personal and it spoke volumes. And he knows that we are complex human beings. He became human, which would have helped so much. So um, I found the following explanation, lovely, really helpful um, to understand the things on Jesus's heart. Um, he is high re re highly relational and so are we. Um, and this is explained, this little model that I'm going to go through really quickly is explained in a book called When Helping Hurts. And as humans, that's you in the middle, um, we have four key relationships. Nice. You are good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we have four key relations. So, no, so number one, with God. So when this is good, we, we love him and we experience um, the presence of God as our heavenly father and live in a joyful, intimate relationship with him as his children. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden before the fall. And when this relationship is broken, we serve something else as God in our lives. It rules over us and ultimately destroys us. We've heard that a few times already at the conference, haven't we? Of like any idol that we bow to that isn't Jesus is going to just leave us broken. Um, two, relationship with self. So when this is good, we know that we are uniquely created in the image of God and have inherent worth and dignity. Um, but when this is broken, you could easily get a God complex. Um, overtaken with pride, privilege, thinking that you're untouchable. It can also look like on the other side, like low self-worth, shame, unworthiness and turning to find affirmation from other places. Thirdly, our relationship with others. So God created us to be in loving relationship with other people. We're not islands. We're made to know, love and encourage and honour one another. And when this is broken, the lives of other people aren't valued. So that could go all the way on a scale from murder um, to like just low pay and bad working conditions, um, not valuing the contribution, humanity and gifts of others. So for example, like women's worth... Um, women being valued and even when women got the vote um, in this country it gave them a voice it valued their, their their dignity the worth that they had the contribution that they gave and then that in turn helped to reduce their material poverty because they could then um, uh, advocate for themselves in that way um, and fourthly with the rest of creation so this is when we are good stewards um, as was the original plan in the beginning um, we understand protect subdue and manage creation and preserve it and, and produce bounty and when this is broken um, natural resources are exploited climate change um, affects the poorest um, look up flooding in Bangladesh or, or massive corporations exploiting natural resources like water um, to make project, pro products to ship off um, to other countries leaving local farmers unable to grow their own crops so when we talk about compassion and God's heart for, for justice and, and loving people around us, we can, we can sometimes just imagine people living below the poverty line, for example, um, struggling to make ends meet. And that is, that's bang on the money as well. Jesus is really clear in his call to feed the hungry and clothe the naked. But when we understand the solution to poverty, just as a lack of material things, we're missing the whole picture of God's heart and our mission to see his kingdom come in all aspects of our lives. So like with Zacchaeus, Jesus spent time with everyone. Um, he was, uh, Zacchaeus was an outcast. He had no sense of community and was despised. But an encounter with Jesus rectified that and for other people in, in his community. So if we understand a lack of material resources as the whole picture of poverty, we might then only give material things. And we can then be confused as to why people are still experiencing material poverty and their situations haven't changed. But for those in the grip of poverty, it's more than just lacking financially. It can be understood in, um, 
in feelings of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social anxiety, isolation, voicelessness, um, which can be really, really complex. Um, yeah, I heard um, a story recently um, of one of our neighbours and how her daughter has a friend and um, she doesn't, she's entitled to free school meals, but she would rather go hungry than stand in the queue with all the other people who are entitled to free school meals um, because of the shame that that then brings on her. She would rather, she'd rather go hungry. So you'd be like, well, why don't you just get your free school meal and you won't be hungry? But that is so not it. Like looking at those complex relationships and um, yeah, and looking at, almost like new solutions and new creativity that the Lord gives us to, to, to move in these, in these situations, um, even if it feels very systemic. Um, well, so yeah, if we don't consider these other relationships um, and how crucially important they are, we can miss something that I think Jesus did so well in giving dignity and drawing people close as he sought the best for them. Jesus' compassion led him on a mission to share who he was and many of those times were joined up with healing, providing or welcoming someone into relationship even if they later rejected him. And we only need to look at the values of the kingdom to see what a prospering community would look like. In the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew, Jesus lays out values and teachings about the kingdom. And it's a place where the poor are blessed and honoured, children are valued, servanthood is valued over power. We love our enemies and we good to those, we good, do good to those who hate us and mistreat us. Where there is giving and generosity, prayer, love, forgiveness, reconciliation, honesty, good deeds. And who doesn't want to live in a, in a place like that? And... This isn't just large-scale church projects that get this stuff going, um, or charities. It's, it's you, and it's you in your university. It's you on your commute, um, in your home. It's the way you pray for your neighbours, how you speak to your housemates when you're tired, how you forgive those who hurt you and live generously, um, finding ways to meet um, needs and be Jesus um, in circumstances to people. It's about giving time to a colleague who nobody likes um, and choosing God's way when it's so easy to slip into the slipstream of what the world around us is doing. Getting to know people who are currently strangers to you and being interested in their lives and knowing the ultimate that the ultimate relationship with God is where we would love for people to be. And now that we've... Um, looked about how Jesus went about doing evangelism and compassion we're going to look on to move on to looking at what these aspects of mission can look like for us um and Hettel is just so excellent at this stuff and has a few ways um that we can learn about how we can invite others to know Jesus okay so um thing ways I find it helpful just some top a few tips for me, I guess. So I find it helpful to keep a couple of frameworks in mind when I share my faith. And for two reasons. Firstly, the reality is that the majority of times I speak of Jesus, people don't fall flat on their face and accept God as their Lord and Saviour. I wish Sometimes. they did. <laughs> I wish they did, but they don't. Um, but that doesn't mean my attempt has been unfruitful. The Spirit has moved and done something, so I shouldn't be disheartened. Bringing people into the kingdom of God is a process and it takes time. And then secondly, it can be helpful to place them within a framework so you know how best to share your faith with them. Great. So this is a framework. Um, it's called the Engel Scale. So a guy called James Engel um, developed this tool to help us discern people's understanding of God. So at the bottom, you've got those who have no knowledge of God whatsoever, the Christian God. And at the top, you've got disciples of Jesus who are living out the kingdom mission. And you've got somewhere in the middle, uh, repentance and faith. That's about zero. Um, the actual version of these frameworks are from John Tyson's um, course called a missional life course. So I highly recommend that. Um, however, coming to know Jesus isn't just a matter of knowledge. Um, so we may know about the gospel, but we may not be open to it. So there's a guy called Frank Gray who created a second axis called the openness axis, which attempts to measure people's attitudes or openness to the Christian faith. So in terms of the openness scale, on the far left, you've got closed. On the far right, you've got open. And I personally think that most people in our generation are just before the middle. So they're apathetic. They're distracted. They're too busy to give it a moment's thought. So then Gray put this scale against Engel's scale and it looks like 
this. Yes. Um, there we go. Um, so one of the helpful things I find about this framework is that it separates um, people into four quadrants. So each of the quadrants represents a posture towards faith. And each requires a different approach as you invite people to take the next steps of their journey. So in the top right, we've got high awareness and high openness. So these people would call themselves Christians. And here we have to help people grow in their faith and partake in the mission of God. Then bottom right, we've got low awareness and high openness. So these people are open spiritually. In our age, it's often open to spirituality in general. But these people have a very little understanding of the Jesus and the good news. So I've got friends here, so whenever I talk to them about what Jesus has done in my life, they're so intrigued, they're open, they want to ask questions, they want to find out more. So here, our approach can be to present Jesus and the gospel, so we're presenting content in a way that is relevant to their culture, their situation, their context. So Alpha is great here, and these people need to hear the gospel and realise it's for them, that they can know Jesus too. And then the bottom left, we've got low awareness and low openness. So these people, don't, they don't know much about Jesus and they're also pretty close to him and the gospel. And this is where most people in our generation are. They don't have specific beef against Christianity. They just have no awareness of religion as they've grown up in secular environments. And as a result, they're not that open to faith. There might even be a bit of a distrust of religion and faith due to being in our postmodern world. So here we need to firstly help people know that Christians are okay people. So move them from negative or neutral to sort of more positive thoughts. And then help them see that Jesus is interesting and could, you know, in fact be for them. And we can do this in a variety of ways. So we can share our testimony, in particular parts that are relevant to their lives. Power evangelism is really good here, like it can speed stuff up. Witnessing is crucial, having lives that display Jesus, displaying generosity, love, joy, peace, but also displaying how our fears and anxieties are stilled by him, how we have a hope and a purpose. We can witness as a community, so invite people into the church family, build relationships. This can be through sort of non-faith activities like crash, football, fireworks, whatever your church might do. And we can witness in our actions too. And this links us back to compassion by feeding the poor and fighting for justice. So moving people to an openness and awareness of Jesus, it can take time and often multiple conversations and encounters. So faithfulness and persistence is really key here. And that's actually the box that I started in and I'm now here, so it does happen. Um, and then top left, we've got high awareness and low openness. Um, so these people have a knowledge of the gospel, but they're closed off. Perhaps they've had some experience of church and then walked away. So for these people to consider faith, they need a compelling countercultural witness, extravagant generosity, sacrificial love. They need to see Christians living well and powerfully. Power evangelism is very, very helpful here as the Holy Spirit can break down barriers and open hearts again. So actually someone I used to know quite well, they were abused in a church setting, but as an adult, they experienced sort of the extravagant countercultural loving witness of a Christian friend over many, many years. And eventually that friend invited them to do Alpha, um, where they encountered Jesus' healing for that experience in their past, and they gave their life to Jesus. So if people are in that box, it's not, you, can't, you don't have to count them out, but it just takes a little bit more work and a lot of the Holy Spirit. So, as an illustration, I'm going to put my own journey on the scale. Okay, thanks. Um, so, I'll tell you when to go. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, yeah. um, okay, great. So, so, I started in the bottom left corner. So, I had a low openness. I went to secular schools where everyone thought religious people were stupid um, and also had a really low awareness. I actually remember asking a friend one year what Christmas was about in the sense that I didn't actually know that it was because Jesus was born. That's why we celebrated Christmas. Um, so, yeah, so first, like, there we go. So that's where I was. I was closed and I had no knowledge. Then out of nowhere at uni, one of my friends became a Christian at a um, vineyard church and I thought she'd joined a cult. Um, so I went, I went to find out more and I went to rescue her. So that put me there. <laughs> Um, and so as I went to find out more I realised people were really very lovely 
For example, I met this really nice lady, and after my first meeting with her, um, in the next day, she invited me to a birthday party. So the next thing I know, I'm having dinner with 12 other really lovely Christians. So, um, next slide. Here I am, entering into that cult community. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then I started to be intrigued as to what these people believed, and this coincided with one of my best friends passing away, and that had left me with quite a um, nihilistic worldview. So I didn't think there was a point to anything in life, and I thought everything was meaningless. So God's timing was perfect, because it was at this point that I was confronted with Christianity, and I realised Christians had a hope and a purpose, and it intrigued me. Hey. And so then I engaged in this sort of steady path of exploration, becoming more knowledgeable about the Christian God. And alongside this, I was becoming more open. So I reached the point where I was like, I actually want Jesus to be real and this to all be true. But I was just struggling to believe. I didn't really know how to take that next step. And then it was at a Christian festival that I encountered the Holy Spirit in a profound way. And that's when my faith was born. Hooray! Oh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's just my story. I'm sure you could trace your own journey on there. And all of that is to say, with everyone I know that doesn't know Jesus, I'm always trying to discern where they may be on that diagram and trying to participate with the Spirit in encouraging them to take that next step towards Jesus. And part of our mission as followers of Jesus is to relentlessly and consistently invite people that don't know Jesus to take that next step. So this is something for all of us. So I'd really encourage you to think where your friends, your colleagues, your family, the people that you know are, what their next step might be. I found this such a helpful tool, um, yeah, to think about how God uses to, loves to use us to like bump people along that scale um, when you love people like Jesus loves. Um, it really gets people's attention and opens the doors for conversations and helps people know more of the heart of Jesus. Um, and in, so in our city, um, we have a project, um, a building that we're renovating. Um, uh, the Lord kindly spoke a few years about, ago about this, about having a space like this for the city um, and not for the church. Like it was uh, not like as a church venue. This is like a, a, a space specifically for the community. Um, and it's such a joy to see, um, uh, to see his provision come through again and again to make this possible and the hard work of lots of people. Um, and it's a space where we practically can provide for our community through things like a pantry and an affordable community cafe, um, as well as a space for people to come together and um, boost their well-being and connect. Um, and just just a few few examples of some of the things that the that the team do. So the team who run the English cafe for English language cafe um, help women increase their confidence um, in speaking English, and that alone is like, oh, what's that going to do? But helping them to to read to their children, boosting their confidence, giving them um, agency, able to speak for themselves, um, preparing their kids for school, reading the bedtime stories. Um, just as an example, there are just so many ways that the Lord just like breaks a few people's hearts over these things um, and yeah, able to just grow these amazing relationships with people. And the team who run the pantry thinks through so much to create a really dignified way for people to, to access food and take that home as a way to maximise their income and, and, um, and connect them with other people. And they make sure they've got coffee and there's never like a queue going down the road or anything like that. Um, they remember people's birthdays. And um, I, I wrote this before last Wednesday when we had a pantry session. It was hilarious because there was somebody's birthday and they prepared and remembered everything um, and got a little gift bag and it was all very wonderful um and then somebody else said that it was their birthday that they didn't know about and it was like code red situation in the building it was like who's got a birthday card have I got to go to Asda to get a birthday card it was like we need a birthday has anyone got a gift who's got a box of chocolates I've got no chocolates and the panic of like we need to honor and celebrate this person and we've not got anything um and they didn't know they didn't say it to get a gift or anything like that but um that 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 pursuit of like celebrating and loving people is um, is amazing and and these I could I could go on about different projects that are happening and I'm really happy to chat later if that's what you want to want to know about but these these are just wonderful people who are inspired by in wonderful people inspired people faithfully loving a community and 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 committing to. St to stand with people and, and asking for their opinions and, and the projects that they want and the food that they like and all these sorts of things. And um, 
and and then you get an opportunities to invite people into to church things or fun events and and things that we run from the space and you build up trust with people which is particularly important um, in a racially and religiously diverse community and just a brief story I realize we're, we're coming into coming into a landing don't worry um, but yeah, one morning a few weeks ago, I just listened to some of John Wimber's talks on power evangelism from Signs and Wonders. That's what it was like, wasn't it? Well, we did, anyway, it was very, very good, um, really powerful. And I was just, I was just one morning thinking, God, I would just, as I was getting ready to go, I would just love to see more of that. And I think I, in that moment, forgot the power of prayer because he really does answer our prayers. Um, and... Um, yeah, just, just seeing more of what he's doing in, and getting opportunities to point straight back to God for his glory. And it really connected something for me. And um, I was walking into the building and on my way, I bumped into a lady who comes in for various groups and um, she'd shared about a recent bereavement. And, and I stood with her in her pain and, and chatted to her and I said, oh, I'd be praying for you and your family. This is awful. And as I walked away, I just immediately felt Holy Spirit like, jumping up and down inside me like it's, it's such a weird experience and I just began like praying in tongues walking through Asda car park like an absolute madman and um and I just could I just didn't care what anybody thought about me it was very strange um and then I was wondering like god what is all of this about have I missed a moment do I need to go and find her in Asda like what what's happened have I do I need to go and share the gospel um and I just didn't know what was going on, what he was doing. And, and I was running late anyway, classic. And I thought, maybe it's just for the best. And I'll just enjoy this moment of Holy Spirit jumping around. Um, and then I almost immediately bumped into somebody else um, with, with one of her kids who we've begun to get to know. Um, and the Lord is so kind. So she, she shared that she'd just been diagnosed with a serious, potentially life-threatening condition. And um, we got to chatting about that and, and, and other things. And she, we, we spent a while on that. And then, she, and then she started chatting about how she was on her way into the shop because she had dropped that morning £20 um, in Asda. And she was going to go and see if anyone had handed it in. And I don't know about you and your local shop, but... If you drop a 20 quid, you kiss it goodbye. Like, you're not getting it back. Someone else is having an excellent week because they're 20 pounds up. Um, no one's handing it in. I was like, sure. Good luck on your journey. Um, and, and actually, that 20 pounds was highly valuable for her. That would have been a significant contribution to her weekly shop. Um, and, and I thought, I promise, I thought about going to a cash machine and getting out 20 quid, but it didn't feel right. And I've got to put that down to the Holy Spirit and not just me being tight. Um, but I felt the Holy Spirit bouncing around in me again. And I knew that I needed to pray, ask if it's okay for me to pray over her diagnosis. And also reminded of this John Wimber stuff, I needed to pray that she'd find that 20 pounds um, in Asda. She was really happy for me to pray and, and we stood and we, we, um, we were holding hands in, and uh, I don't know how, oh, the Lord is mad. And I love it. And we stood and we were praying and, um, and I prayed my best prayer in Jesus, Jesus' name so that everyone knows who we're praying to. Um, and, and then we parted ways. And then a few days later, she came back into the building and, um, to stop by for a chat. And she shared so like calmly that the, her 20 pounds had been handed in and they were wait, like they were ready and waiting for her and they gave it back to her. Um, and, which is just wild. So she was obviously really chuffed about that, but you just like remake that God connection of like, we prayed to Jesus about that, didn't we? And like, isn't that amazing? Um, she's wonderful. So we celebrated that and um, my faith rose for her physical healing and I said I'd continue to pray as her treatment started. Um, and Jesus's heart for this lady just broke me that he would move, you don't know our local Asda, but if you did, he would move a mountain to like make this happen. Um, and then he also died to beat the power of sin and death and darkness over her disease. And I pray that we see full physical healing and I will continue to. Um, but it's really important to say off the back of that, that I was... I was sailing off the back of the relationships of like six other people for that conversation. Like the... the um, the, the people who had like faithfully served and listened to her and practically met her needs um, and building trust, like we're, we're meant to do this stuff together. Um, so yeah, just want to encourage you, like what is your prayer as you leave the house? Um, what is your desire for your, um, what is the desire for your workplaces, your home, your university? These places should look better for us having lived in them. Um, not because of us, because of God through us. Um, 
Let him spend you on behalf of his kingdom cause. Let him break your heart for the lost, the lonely and the left behind and for, give, give you hope for your uni, your, your workplaces, your course mates and your streets. Um, Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And just yeah just a final word before we conclude like as you might have seen in the news that like workplaces and universities are getting food banks and I don't want to make this all about food because compassion and loving and loving our cities and towns wherever we are is so much more than just food but like I think there is a big thing about food in this moment um and the cost of it and what is your you know if you've never had to access anything like that before knowing what you know about mission and Jesus's heart for the lost and materially poor what could God inspire you to do is there something in your church that some people are just faithfully turning away at that you could join in with and you would be such a gift if you said to those people I've got time what can I do or how can I mobilize people or what else is going on in your city and what could you help start or find other people with the same heart like pray into that Um, because if you ask God to break your heart just be ready because he will and he needs to for some of this stuff Um, see what's missing in your area Um, if you want a shock put your postcode into the index of multiple deprivation and just see what's going on in your area um, around poverty and show dignity as Jesus did and bring people along the journey with you to see all that the Lord wants to do. Great. So we're coming into a land. Um, So today we've looked at our mission what a mission is as followers of Jesus. So it's participating with God in his grand story until Jesus returns and then ushers in that new creation. So the kingdom here in its fullness. And this mission involves the physical, intellectual, social and spiritual aspects of our lives as humans and it involves the whole of creation. So it's an expansive and broad mission. And then we've looked at just two examples, so evangelism, so reversing the spiritual effect of the fall and inviting people to come to know Jesus. And then we've looked at how we can be motivated by compassion to deeply love those around us in practical ways, pointing back to the goodness of God. And we explored what mission looks like for Jesus in those areas. And then Naomi Naomi and I, I can say your name, um, then looked at what it looked like for us. We did. Um, yeah, so hopefully you are encouraged today to, um, as you go home, wherever God has placed you, because he has placed you where you are, is to think through and dream about what would it look like for you to participate in God's mission. Um, yeah, these two examples that we've that we've explored around mission, but there are so many other ways that the Lord can use you and do and use you um, where you are. Um, and we just trust that the Holy Spirit will nudge and stir you in that um, and speak to you about where you can get involved with your with your unique personhood and your and your um, and your skills and your story and your personality and your giftings and your passions. Um, what does it look like for you, for you to bring God's kingdom here into your life and the lives of those around you? Um, God wants to use us. He wants to use you with purpose to bring His kingdom here today, wherever you are. Um, so yeah. We feel very passionate about that and I hope that that's been an encouragement to you guys. Great.